Father, we're just asking for your spirit to rest on us in these moments in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to help us kind of get into uh, what we're talking about this morning, Jo Holmes is going to come and just share a little bit about her story as a way of helping us to reflect on the way God meets us at our different points of need. Jo. Hi, everybody. Um, my journey to emotional healing uh, started 11 years ago. Thank you. <laughs> when I gave my life back to Jesus. At this time, I had really bad depression. It was as bad as it could get, and it was a really, really hard place to be. It was our first church weekend away with Burlington that I felt desperate for God to help me. So I spoke to Simon, who suggested prayer ministry. My early days of prayer ministry was all about God releasing and freeing me from destructive thought patterns in my life. Over the years, through prayer, God has brought feeling, feelings. <laughs> God has brought healing on the things that happened in my past. It's it's felt like God has been peeling away layers and getting deeper into the things that I needed to hand over to Him. The great thing is now that I actually recognise the old thought patterns that creep back into my head, and I recognise them quicker, so I'm able to pray. And I kind of say things like, look, I'm not accepting that thought in the name of Jesus. Prayer is a really powerful tool. I found particularly putting on the helmet of salvation really, really useful. As it protects your will, it protects your emotions, your mind, your seeing, your thinking, speaking, hearing and central nervous system. Over the last few months, I feel more like the person that God has intended me to be. And I'm really, really enjoying feeling like that. God has renewed my hope in him, and I'm thankful that God uses my past to speak comfort, hope, and life into others. Thank you. As I've been alluding to over these last few weeks... We're we're all tied up and mixed up. Our bodies, minds, emotions, spirits, wills are all understandably interconnected. And modern medicine, more than in recent times in terms of a modern era, recognizes and understands that so much of what goes on in our physical uh, bodies has a reflection in part, uh, not always, but sometimes in part, in our emotions or in our spiritual well-being. So as we move away from last week, from physical healing, and start talking this morning about emotional healing, we've not left physical healing behind. Uh, The greatest physical healings I've ever known in uh, the lives of people that I know, the greatest physical healing has been as a consequence of uh, emotional healing. So let's just kind of keep all of these uh, uh, plates spinning a little bit together, if that's not an unhelpful metaphor. Let's keep these ideas going uh, side by side because they're all interconnected and all into uh, related. In fact, in Jewish thought, they, they don't separate out the different parts of the body in the way that we would naturally do. So as I've mentioned already, when Jesus says, uh, 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 um, your, your faith has healed you, Jesus is literally saying, your, your faith has made you whole in a complete sense, a shalom sense of body, mind, and 
Spirit. Your faith has made you well in the fullness of it. So, for example, with the woman with the issue of blood who pushed through the crowd, touched his garment, and was instantly healed after 12 years of bleeding, and Jesus turns to her and says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. She goes on her way, not just physically restored, but the honor that Jesus bestowed upon her in that moment restored her from her shame and the lack of dignity that she'd faced through so many years. So all woven together and interconnected. Let's not lose sight of that. Let me tell you something that you already know. Emotions are complicated. Feelings. Feelings. There are some people at this end of the spectrum who go, feelings? What are feelings? I don't feel. Fact. And there are people over here who go, feelings? I'm feel- I can't stop feeling. I wish I could shut these feelings up. I'm all feelings. I've got no idea what's true. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. I feel, therefore I am. And we're all somewhere in that spectrum. I can't control them. I can't get away from them. Or feelings? I don't even think I've got them. This is my happy face. <laughs> this is my sad face. Feelings. Joy of the Lord. Deep down. Let me describe some scenarios that we might be able to relate to. If by the end of this set of scenarios, you're feeling smug, hopefully by the end, I'll have done enough scenarios for all of us to go, oh well, yeah, me too. Many people feel lonely, even though they have people around them. Others feel that they're not good enough, even though they might have achieved quite a lot of things. Others still that they're not particularly liked or loved, but everyone around them does like them and love them. Others feel depressed or down or anxious or that they can't achieve anything of value or, or, or that really they don't amount to anything much or live with the nagging doubt that somehow they are less than everybody else, that one day they'll be found out. And then there are Christians. So that was people. Then there are Christians People who've put their faith in Jesus, been filled with the Holy Spirit, have been used in great ways for God, but who still feel lonely, even though there are people around them that still feel like perhaps they're not good enough, that still feel that maybe no one really likes or loves them, that still feel depressed or down or anxious, or that they can't achieve much or they don't really amount to much, and live with the nagging doubt that one day they will also be found out. And feeling like that as a Christian somehow just makes the whole thing worse. Because you're not supposed to feel like that as a Christian. Are you? And because you think that you're not supposed to feel like that as a Christian, but you do, there are one or two things that you might naturally do in response. You might fight it. I'm going to beat this. So I'm going to pray harder, and I'm going to read my Bible more, and I'm going to get more involved in church activities, and I'm going to do more acts of service, all really good things that aren't bad at all, of themselves. But somehow, 
doesn't matter how hard I pray or how much I try and read the Bible, it might momentarily help, but it doesn't achieve for me what I'm looking for. Somehow these feelings never quite go away. And a lot of energy, emotional energy, goes into keeping those feelings away from the forefront of my life. So I think I'm going to beat this. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going uh, uh, to conquer it. Or maybe you've tried that for a while, or maybe you haven't got any energy to do that, and you kind of go, well, I can't beat this. This is, this is who I am. And what that does is make you feel rubbish, because you know as a Christian you're not supposed to feel like that, so that makes you feel rubbish. So the only thing that you can do is not admit to how you feel, but you go into a pretend mode, the Sunday mode, the perfect mode. Ha. <sighs> But inside, you're dying. And it doesn't matter which track you take. It takes you, eventually, to the same place of despair, disillusionment, going through the motions. You tried to beat it, but you can't. Now you've got to pretend. And I think we're all somewhere on the spectrum. We're all somewhere in the midst of trying to work out with our different feelings and emotions, things that we struggle with, trying to beat it or trying to deny it, not quite sure how honest we can be uh, about it. One of the fantastic things that I've observed about this community in more recent years is that we're getting a lot more honest with one another. That's a really, really good thing, although it does have the negative side effect of feeling like everything's falling apart. Because everywhere you look, people are struggling. The truth is, everywhere you look, people have always struggled. So we're not falling apart any more as a people than we've ever fallen apart, or any other group of people is falling apart. So we're quids in, really. But the honesty is the beginning of what God can do in our lives. So do we have to feel like this? There's one thing being honest about it, but being honest about it and being left with it only helps for uh, a short while. Do we have to feel like this? Well, the obvious answer that I'm going to suggest is no. Uh, And I'm going to say no for all the reasons that we looked at in that foundation sermon about does God want us whole. All of those reasons, were there nine or ten or twelve, I can't remember, but all of those reasons still stand true for what we're talking about, about our emotions. The Bible doesn't say, I'll do something with your body, but not your emotions. I'll do something with your spirit, but not your wills. Uh, God, God treats us as whole human beings. And just two of those, nine or twelve or however they were, as a reminder, uh, first one's this, reminder number one, Jesus came to rescue us from the mess that sin has made. I am in this mess with emotions that trouble me, with uh, anxieties and fears and all of that stuff, because I am a fallen creature in a fallen world. And Jesus came to rescue me from everything that binds me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And secondly, Jesus, reminder number two from that previous list, Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You will not be in heaven fearful, I promise you. And, and one, of the, one of the ways the enemy gets us is he, is he teaches us to be fearful of heaven. Uh, and, and if in our honest moments, quite a lot of us are fearful about heaven, even though we understand in our heads it's supposed to be a good thing. There will be no fear in heaven. I will not be going in heaven. I wonder if God loves me very much. Wonder if I'm important to anybody. Wonder if anybody cares. 
You won't get up in heaven and think, hmm, full of worries today. Don't know if I can get to the end. Uh, And so as we anticipate what being rescued, what being restored, what being saved and made whole means, as we look to that as the end goal, that's where we're heading. Jesus says, do all you can to bring that heavenly reality into the earthly situation where you are now. Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So two reminders. Do we have to feel like this? No. Perhaps a, another thought, uh, bringing in some different ideas as to why we can be confident that the way that we sometimes feel is not the way God wants to leave us. God's promise is freedom. Right the way through the Bible. The most famous of all the Psalms, the, 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 um, the uh, what do you call it? The shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. That one. The Psalm 23 one. Uh, he restores my soul. That's David talking about his life and his experience. He leads me beside quiet waters and he restores my soul. If the sun sets you free, Jesus would say, you will be free indeed. The promise is that we will have the light of life, the light of life inside of us. That we will never walk in darkness. But if we're honest, we walk in anxiety and we walk in fear and we walk in a low sense of ourselves and so on and so forth. But Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm calling you to follow me out of your dark place into a walk of light that will be from within you. A beautiful verse back in the Old Testament. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves, rescues, restores, redeems, completes, whatever word you want to capture that word, those who are crushed in spirit. So God's word is true. And I want to believe God's word, and therefore I have to believe that God's purpose for me is to take my life to a greater place of freedom until the day I stand before him and I'll be like him. That's why Paul would say we go from a place of glory into glory as we all reflect the Lord's glory, and so on. And so there's this, this kind of progression in the Scriptures that Jesus came to rescue us, and that rescue will take us ever closer to the people we were always meant to be. But the reality is, and you don't need me to tell you, there is often a huge gap in what we experience today, this morning, on Sunday the 22nd of June, 2014, and the freedom we believe that God has for us. And our healing, in all its senses, is about nudging us day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, closer to the people that Jesus has always wanted us to be, closer to the people that one day we will fully be. And so God's word is true, therefore I believe God's word, but there is this reality gap And so we need to acknowledge together, it's not just that God has said these things in his word and I believe them because it's true, but we have to acknowledge that God's ways, 
God's dealings with us are true, and as we allow God's ways, God's dealing of us, he will lead our lives into greater truth. And one of the greatest joys of this job, one of the greatest joys of being part of this community, is to see God taking us step by step, nudge by nudge, sometimes big leap by big leap, to become more like the people he's making us to be. So in our experience, we see people who are walking away from fears. See people who are walking away from anxieties. See people who are laying down, as Joe was talking about, thought patterns that have been crippling and so on and so forth. And so our experience calls us on in the light of what we already know from God's Word. So, why? Let's ask the why question. Why do we feel like this anyway? Why do we feel like it in the first place? In a uh, storm, when the, the tree gets uh, blown down and you have the privilege of, uh, or privilege or the, the kind of sight of seeing the, the roots of a tree, you realize that the roots of a tree are often as big, if not sometimes bigger, than the tree itself. So you've got a gigantic tree under the ground is replicated roots of equal magnitude of the tree that you see. And if uh, the roots are bad when that tree gets knocked over, you'll go to that tree and you'll look at the roots and you'll say, well, well, these roots are bad. It's no wonder that the tree was not that healthy. And it's no surprise that if the roots are bad, that the tree's going to struggle to be as healthy as it could be. In addition, if you were a tree expert, you would be able to look at the rings of the tree and uh, you would be able to count, firstly, how many years the tree is old. You've done that. But if you were a tree expert, you could tell by the rings, the size, the shape, the indentation, the color, all of that stuff, something of what the tree has gone through during its life. The rings reveal something about the reality that that tree has experienced. So a tree surgeon might be able to point to a, a ring and say, well, that, that was a year of horrible drought that the tree went through. Or here was a moment when the tree was struck by lightning. Or these were several years when the tree was growing healthy and strong. Here was a time of, of savage disease and blight and, and so on and so forth. All of that reality lies hidden within the roots of the tree. Equally, lying in the roots of our lives are all the realities that we have lived by, lived through, and experienced. All of the moments, the seasons of our lives. So David Seaman, some of you will have read some of his work. He has this lovely phrase. Um, he says, just a, a few minutes below the protective bark, the concealing protective mask, the things that you see, are the recorded rings of our lives. So deep inside us are painful things. There are hurts and wounds that others have caused us. There are hurts and wounds that we've caused ourselves by our choices and our decisions. In the recorded rings of our lives, there are things that have made us angry. In the recorded roots of our lives, there are things that have made us afraid and scared 
In the recorded rings of our lives, there are those moments that have made us feel useless or less than everybody else around us or not as important as the person beside us. Inside each of us in the recorded rings of our lives are all of those moments where we felt less than what we should have felt about who we are in God's sight. And so in essence, those recorded uh, rings, those roots in our lives, are inevitably going from time to time to affect the health of our present day. You can imagine going back to the tree that's struggling to produce fruit and the tree is weak and sickly and pointing to a rotten part of the root and saying, well, that's why this tree is not as strong and as life-filled as it could be. In the same way, there are roots to our lives, many of them good and healthy, some of them perhaps not so healthy, where you go, well, because that root is not as healthy as it could be, therefore the tree, the life that is now living is not as healthy as it could be. And it's not just the things that we remember. There are plenty of experiences that I've had that I don't remember that still affect the way that I feel. In fact, what what the Bible said 3,000 years ago in the Psalms, modern medicine is now telling us that that even an unborn child in a mother's womb feels what's going on, has a, a sensory perception. And young children, as they grow up, they, they feel all kinds of things. And, and those feelings, those rings of their lives, are part of what makes them the people that they are today. A rotten root will obviously give birth to rotten growth. So where do these rotten roots come from? I love the, um, these verses in Isaiah for all kinds of reasons. But one of the things that I, I think it, it really helpfully highlights to us is that the, the ministry of Jesus is about binding up broken hearts. And then there are kind of two sort of examples of, of why hearts are broken and why hearts are, uh, need releasing and freedom. So it's to proclaim freedom for captives and the release from darkness for prisoners. Now, If you are held captive, it's usually something that's been done to you. Somebody is holding you captive. If you're a prisoner, it's usually as a consequence of something that you have done. Prisoners uh, are as a result of something you have done. And I think that's a really helpful way of understanding the two major ways that we get our lives into a tangle. Our lives are in a tangle because of things that have been done to us that hold us captive. And our lives are bound because of things that we do that have imprisoned us. And so without mixing the metaphors uh, too much, things that people do to us cause us hurts and wounds that hold us captive. And so, for example, if we get wounded... We might graze our knee and we might mop it up, cleanse it, put a a plaster on it and so on. But what about the wounds of our hearts? And some of us know big wounds in our hearts. And we've never quite been able to have those wounds tended or helped back towards wholeness and healing. Often wounds in our hearts are deeply uncomfortable 
and we feel awkward and embarrassed about them, so we will do everything we can to ignore them. Uh, and if you have a, a, a cut that you ignore, that you don't clean up, you know what happens. And in a similar way, we'll ignore some of our emotional wounds because we don't quite know what to do with them, where to take them, how to get what we might need, and so they are allowed to fester away in our lives. And often some of those deep wounds begin when we're children. It's such a, as modern medicine will tell us, such an important formative years, those early years. And one of the reasons that it's so formative and children are so impressionable, and that's what we say and what we observe, is because children generally can't think and work everything out. So all they can do is feel. So a very simple example. I remember when I was at the school gate uh, in... I was age four or five, and no one came to pick me up. Come on, where's the compassion in the room? You hard-hearted, clinical people. And as a four or five-year-old, it doesn't matter what the myriad of adult reasons are, which were perfectly normal and perfectly rational. What does the five-year-old feel? Abandoned, okay? So unless that feeling's dealt with, it becomes one of the rings in my life. If that happened lots of times, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are in the adult world. It doesn't matter if everybody loved me and were fighting fires and saving other people and rescuing all my other siblings from a house fire. It doesn't, what do I feel? I feel uh, abandoned. Uh, and children, uh, for a while, can only feel. So such an impressionable time. So some of the feelings that we get go back a long way. And we might not remember the moments or the incidents that cause those feelings to begin to take root. And what happens the next time a situation occurs when I might feel a little bit abandoned or a little bit rejected because of that school experience, I'm, I'm kind of aware of that feeling. So it adds to it just a little tiny bit. And then something else happens and it adds to it just a little tiny bit, just a little tiny bit. And then my best friend can't come to my birthday party, adds to it just a little tiny bit. And these are all normal things in our lives, but we're picking up the feelings along the way. Now translate that into abusive situations and abusive relationships, and you can imagine the amount of feelings that people are picking up uh, along the way. So if a sibling was dominant, what are you picking up along the way? If a teacher poked fun or was always discouraging... Or if a father was demanding, or if you didn't bond very well with your mother, or if you were teased, humiliated, bullied, excluded, if you felt like you didn't fit in, if everyone was good at sport and you weren't, if um, you were good at sport and no one else was, whatever, if you were too tall, everyone else was really short, I struggled with that, um, it, it's really hard to fit in, and you go, I, I, I feel different, I feel out of sorts. So it seems really odd in our adult mind that a child who is taller or even shorter for that matter, than other kids, might have an issue about it. But of course they do, because they feel what that might be communicating about who they are. And these wounds just often get left unattended. And we might say, it doesn't matter, I was only a child. If that's really true for you, if you've gone through some stuff and you go, it doesn't matter, I was only a child, and you are complete, then that's fantastic. But that honestly is not my experience. 
All these things build up a picture of how we feel about ourselves. They build up a picture of our emotions. So, for example, uh, something that's happened to you with a pain, with a sort of a memory is completely faded, but the pain is still very real. The pain is still there, even if the conscious memory of it has passed. The pain is below the surface. And it's not too difficult sometimes for something in the present to trigger that emotion, even though you can't remember why that emotion is there. So, in, um, in the present, when people overreact, ever known anybody overreact? No, nervous laughter. We've read about that in a book, overreacting. Seems a weird thing to me. But why is that? It's, bec- it's not the event, is it? The event, it's an overreaction. Don't be ridiculous. That's not, what's, that's not what's happening here. Why are you reacting like that? Because it's triggering, it's tapping into a reservoir of emotion that you already have. Imagine if you get teased at school week after week and you grow angrier and angrier and angrier. Typically, you don't tell anyone about it. You might have the occasional chat with an adult about it who doesn't quite know what to do about it either. So for years, you get teased about something and that grows anger within you. Then you stop going to school. Hallelujah. And you don't get teased anymore and it feels like it's finished and it's fine. But where's that anger? The anger's still there. It's not gone. And so, 20 years later, you're a grown adult, and someone makes a light-hearted joke that mocks you or teases you light-hearted in some way, and you're red angry with them. Well, of course. Nothing to do with the person who just teased you as an adult. That was perfectly normal adult interaction. But it tapped into something, and whoosh, you overreact because of the emotion that is in you, that has always been there within your roots, in the rings of your life. And so we can see how easily it is that we can pick up wounds, the sins of others that hold us captive and can do for many years. But we're not just captives. We're also prisoners by the things that we are responsible for, prisoners because of our own sins. Now, clearly and straightforwardly, sinning is wrong. So don't do it. Sin only causes trouble, so stop. It messes up your life, messes up your relationship with God, messes up your relationship with everybody else. Okay? So stop sinning. It'll be a lot easier for all of us. And whilst that's absolutely obvious and totally true, there is a particular response that so often messes up our lives that I want to focus on in this particular conversation, or it's not really a conversation, is it? Monologue this morning. It's so often our wrong reaction to the wrongs that people have done to us that cause us the greatest difficulty. So someone hurts me, I feel justified in being angry with them, in being bitter towards them, holding a grudge towards them. And if you knew what they did to me, you would say, Simon, you've got every right to hold that grudge and that bitterness because what they did to you was just wrong. There are two things that will happen. The wrong they did to me will screw me up. 
But my wrong response back, however justified I feel that response is, that wrong response will cause me exponentially more damage than the initial wrong that came my way. Our reactions are massively important in terms of us walking free. And most of the time, what we have to confront is not just the way people have hurt us and wounded us, but the way that we have responded, even though we feel justified in responding that way. Wrong reaction might be to harbor anger or bitterness. A wrong reaction might be to believe a lie about yourself. So someone's done something towards me that that wounds me. They've implied that I'm rubbish, that I'm useless. That's bad enough for me to deal with. My response to that is to go, do you know, I think they're right. I am useless. In fact, yeah, I'm rubbish. My agreement with that lie will cause me loads more trouble than what they said to me. Does that make sense? Another wrong response Someone does something, it hurts you, and you say in response, I will never let that happen to me again. So someone wounds you, I'll never let that happen to me again. So what do I do? I put a a hard wall around my heart because I'm not going to be hurt in that way anymore. That decision, never to let that happen again, will be what will cause me all the trouble compared to the original offense that was done towards me. You might decide as a result of the way you've been hurt or wounded to avoid certain situations. I'll never do that again. Or to avoid certain people. You probably read about that in a book as well. I don't think anybody here that would behave like that. And we're going to look at some of these different things over the coming weeks because they're so important. Our response is so important because you know what? Someone can really wound you and you can walk free that day. Or someone can really wound you and you can walk under its heaviness and pain for the rest of your life. The choice in the end is ours. And what we believe sometimes is the lie, well, my life would be like this. Sorry, your life would be like this if you had what happened to me. And effectively what we say is that God can't rescue us, God can't save us because this has happened to me, my life will always be like that. And the moment we make that as our response, we're denying the opportunity of God's grace, forgiveness, healing, and restoration. And guess what? We'll live under the reality of it for as long as we remain in that place. So roots might well be rotten because of what people have done to you. But by your response, you make those roots septic more often than not. By my response, I make those roots septic or or not. So guarding or changing our reactions is such an important part of helping God move us to a more spacious and a more grace-filled place. When I posted up on um, my blog that I was going to do this series, uh, Diana uh, wrote a comment that some of you will have seen because it's there uh, on the blog, and I thought it would be really helpful for her just to share that with us now, because it gives us just a little window into the way that God moves in our lives and the way we're called to respond. Diana.
Just before Sam and started the first series, Heal God Heals, I asked God to speak to me during the sermon. I've never done this before, but I felt prompted to do it. I got comfortable and started to concentrate on the sermon. But the whole time I was thinking about purchasing a navy blue blaze I had seen in Next. I was also thinking about how good I would have looked if I had it that day. And something Simon said that at the end of the sermon that snapped me right out of my own thoughts. And I said to myself, I don't need that blazer. When Jane Houston came forward to share how God had healed her and her family, I was emotionally moved listening to what she was saying. Then certain events were revealed to me that affected me emotionally for a very long time. I was easily angered that God let people get away for their wrongdoing and why their lies were never revealed. I would see things on the social network that set off my anger, and I would constantly talk about it with Richard, and it would upset me, and they would not let me go. Anyway, I could not understand why these things I was seeing did anger him, did not anger Richard like it did me, and I thought I need to be healed from this and ask God to heal me from all the anger, bad thoughts, and the feelings to harm with words, and the need to seek justice. Simon asked all those who would like to um, like prayer to come forward. I thought, I'm fine now. I've asked God to heal me from all these emotions I'm feeling. No need to go into the front. But God was not finished with me. I looked up and I saw Joe Holmes extend a hand out to come up for prayer. Because I believed and I wanted him to heal, the need to talk and think about what had angered me has passed. And in the past weeks, I have seen God opening the amazing doors and exciting things for my family and I. It's so often in our response as much as it is in how people respond to us. So, we've got about 85 slides to go. And... uh, No, not really. Very simply, I want to highlight four main bad fruits that grow when our emotions are messed up that might help us uh, get a handle on our own lives, and then a very simple model for how Jesus wants to heal us and move us on. All right? Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I'll stop if no one's left, okay? If you all go, then I'll I'll just call it a day. Most common feeling are these whole sets of feelings that kind of go, I'm unworthy, I don't amount to much, I'm not as important as the next person, someone one day will find me out. Anxiety, inadequacy, inferiority, and inner nagging, I'm no good, I'll never be any good, people won't really love me, they don't really love me. When they invite me round to their house, they don't really want me to come. Uh, it's just because they have to invite me round. And in fact, if I go, they'll be cross that I've gone, even though they've invited me. Um, uh, that's, how, that's how it works. So it plays out and... Uh, and uh, 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 we understand that because we understand those feelings. We don't talk about them much because it's a bit embarrassing to go, um, that's how I feel, but, but that's how uh, a major bad fruit of our emotions is this sense of unworthiness. Uh, and maybe you feel like that and you become a Christian and part of, your mind, part of your mind really knows that God loves you. And part of your mind really knows that you belong to him, but the other part of your heart just can't accept it. It's a lie. God doesn't really love me. He only loves me because he's God and he has to love everybody. He only forgives me because he's God and he has to forgive everybody. You know, and you talk yourself out, the reason God loves you is that he has to. There's some other God telling this God what he has to do. And if there wasn't this other God telling this God what to do, he wouldn't love you and you'd be stuffed. Um, and even if God loves you, the church hates you. 
That's probably true. No, no, I'm just joking, just joking, just joking, just joking. Uh, um, no, one, no one really cares about me, and I don't believe that God really does at the end of the day. So you can be a Christian and believe all that, okay? A huge sense of unworthiness. This next one is fantastic as well. In fact, this next one is perfect. Perfectionism uh, gets a lot of us, which is basically, I'm, I'm, because I'm never quite good enough, because I never quite make the grade, I've always got to try harder and harder and harder to try and attain. I'm not sure of my place in the world because of the way I feel about myself, because of the way people have treated me. And so if, if only I could get that done then I will have justified my place in the world. If only I can achieve that, then I'll have proved to everybody and to myself that really I'm okay and my life is of some value. So I'm striving for something. I'm striving to prove things to myself, to prove things to others. I'm motivated to serve uh, because if I serve, then I'll feel better about myself. If I serve, others will see what a good servant I am and that will help me feel better about myself. And so the driving emotion is this perfectionism, this need to to get it right. And the type of person uh, becomes a Christian uh, and their perfectionism is, is simply map it out, mapped out then into their Christian service. God will love me. God will forgive me for as long as I keep doing that task, for as long as I always improve in that area, for as long as I don't drop the ball in that way. And it, suddenly our, our life with God becomes all about what we need to keep achieving in order to keep him loving us. And that's quite uh, exhausting. Another version of this, of course, is just control. Any control freaks? Any liars? You see, when you control, when, you, when you're trying, what's going on in your mind? If I can control my circumstances, if I can control my relationships, if I can control everything around me, then I can in some way prove to myself and to others that my life is worth it, that my life is valuable. And so I need to control the area of my home in order to project something. I need to control my relationships in order to project something to others or to myself. I need to control, 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 control. And... Um, and so on. Uh, and, uh, and now I'm God's child, then I, I, want to, I want to serve him and to worship him, but as long as I can control everything, um, then that's just fine. And uh, God says, trust me, and you go, no way, I need to control this. And, uh, and it, it becomes a tussle through our lives between trust, letting go, and control. And, uh, and the idea of letting go almost becomes impossible when we're locked in this mode because our identity is caught up in being able to control our surroundings. If you're still sitting comfortably, I'm getting to you. Um, the third rotten fruit is super sensitivity. There's nothing wrong with being sensitive. Uh, uh, sensitivity is a gift from God. Uh, people need sensitivity to hear God speak. People need sensitivity to be compassionate. whole caring industry comes out of people with sensitive hearts. But what if you're so super sensitive that it impedes and uh, handicaps your emotions and your life day by day. You're so sensitive that the slightest thing that you hear that reflects or could possibly one day maybe somehow reflect on you in a bad way, you hear as a devastating criticism and your life is ruined and over. Uh, and so to be super sensitive can be really painful uh, because it seems that almost every day there are things that you can find as you look hard enough that affect your sensitivity. You can be offended by anything if you choose to. Can't you? I mean, it's as simple as that. It doesn't matter whether anyone's intending to offend you. If you're coming with that mindset of, I'm probably going to be offended by this, then you can bet your bottom dollar that you will. And uh, uh, it's not a joke. It's a hard way to live. 
It's uh, not a relaxing way to live. Uh, people that have faced a lot of disapproval, a lot of rejection, they, they sublimely expect that that's the way they'll be treated. And so, not consciously, of course, but subconsciously, they're looking for that all the way. So, you might walk down the road, and super-sensitive Charlie's coming the other way. You're in a bit of a hurry. Normally, you'd spend a lot of time with super-sensitive Charlie, because you know, if you don't spend a lot of time with super-sensitive Charlie, uh, Charlie will be upset. But you haven't got loads of time today, so you do normal stuff. You have a normal interaction, or what you think is normal. And you get a call a few minutes later when you get back, that says, super-sensitive uh, Charlie's really upset. Why, why, why were you so rushed today? And it's nothing to do with you. And it's nothing to do with the interaction. But it's about that reservoir of feeling that's already there that actually it doesn't matter how much human interaction you give, you can't uh, fill that up. Uh, uh, The last one is fear. The last one is fear. We can be trapped in fear by so many ways. Fear of this, fear of that. Ultimately... The biggest fear is of our own failure as human beings. The biggest failure is our own ability to control and master our own destiny. And the reality is we can't. And that's what's so brilliant about the gospel. So afraid of losing the game of life that we sit on the sidelines. Everything's wrong. The balls are wrong. The referee's wrong. Goals are in the wrong place. Sounds like England versus Uruguay to me. But life's like that, isn't it? You know? You think... This is hopeless. Don't matter how hard we try here, we're just hopeless. And uh, that fear of giving in our all and being hopeless haunts us as human beings because we're made to be in relationship with God and we're not. And living out of our fears creates a load of if-onlys. And because we can't control the if-onlys, see how all these relate to each other, we end up feeling depressed, anxious, emotional, weary, and so on. Right, here's the good news. Here we go, coming into land. The good news is this. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. He will guide us into all truth. There is no part of your life that he does not know and understand. He searches the deepest places and he understands what truth looks like in your most inner being. We need to invite the Holy Spirit into those places of our lives that he might do his work because he knows exactly what to do. A very simple model. Already this morning, there will be things that you've gone, actually, that's true for me. That's true for me. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us in that area of our lives. So Holy Spirit, I recognize that you're putting a finger on something. I recognize that what's going on in my life is not what you would have go on in my life. And I'm inviting you to lead me because you know where to uh, put your healing touch. Second thing that we need to do as a simple model is to ask what the root is. So uh, you might be thinking, well, actually, I'm, I'm, I am. I'm quite fearful. Or I'm quite angry. Or I'm quite anxious. Or actually, it doesn't matter what happens today, or what happened yesterday, or what happens tomorrow, I feel rubbish. I feel rubbish if I have a good day. I feel rubbish if I have a bad day. Uh, And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand where that comes from. Why do I feel rubbish? It's not about the current circumstances. And we can pray, Lord, 
take away this feeling that I've got, but what the Holy Spirit needs to do is touch us at the root. So ask what the root is. And my suggestion is very simple. Uh, Some of you will know straight away what the root is. Others of you just won't. Sit very quietly. Holy Spirit, I'm listening to you. Just begin to write down everything that comes into your head. And, And honestly, you'll remember things you thought, I've long forgotten that. Why am I thinking about that? What's that got to do with this? Scribble them down on a bit of paper. The Holy Spirit will awaken. He can guide us into all truth. So we're inviting the Holy Spirit. We're asking him what the root is. And, and this is a challenge because sometimes we see this in prayer ministry, of course, when people come and they, they want healing for this, yeah, and we kind of perhaps might start talking about this. And, and naturally, obviously, they go, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. That's, that's what I want is to be healed from this. And what the Holy Spirit sometimes does, just join up the dots, that the reason this exists is because of that. So what's, 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 the, what's the root? What's the, what's the root? I'm fearful because, I feel rubbish because, whatever. And then thirdly, invite Jesus into that painful place. Whatever that was, whatever that situation, whatever that memory. There's two ways you might do this. Some people are very visual people, so you might be thinking about that memory and invite Jesus to be with you in it. He's the guide. He knows what to do. He knows how to heal you. He knows how to fix you from the inside out. You can trust him perfectly. Maybe you're not very visual and you deal in words. Then just ask Jesus. Just ask him with words. Lord, would you come into that hurting, painful place and bring your healing to me? And then lastly, and most importantly perhaps, because remember it's about our response that causes us the most trouble and therefore sorting out our response will bring us the most healing. Be very willing and ready to confess, to say sorry, to turn around from wrong attitudes and wrong actions and ask God to forgive and to cleanse you. Now, we need the Spirit's help to do that. Sometimes we've had wrong attitudes and wrong actions and we've justified them for 10, 15, 20, 30 years that it's almost impossible to see them as wrong anymore. Does that make sense? We're so familiar with them, we're so self-satisfied that that was the right reaction, so justified in it, that's how we protected ourselves in order to maintain that uh, kind of wrong attitude. We just need the Holy Spirit to open up. Lord, where's my attitude wrong? That They were so wrong to me, but actually I hate them. Uh, And I've got to let, let go of that hate. I've got to turn from that hate. They made me feel really scared and I'm really angry with them about it. I've got to let go of that. Invite the Holy Spirit, ask for the root, invite him to heal the wound, and then confess wrong attitudes and actions. The brilliant thing about this verse in 1 John 1, 9 is that he forgives us and then he purifies us, cleanses it all out. Isn't that amazing? There's nothing more freeing than to have that cleansed and actually uh, all poured out. I'm going to lead us in um, a prayer like that just as we close. And so if you're, you know God's put his finger on something just now, I'm just going to invite you to stand as we begin to pray.